0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Strange and Interesting Podcast, a show about folklore, the paranormal, urban legends, and pretty much anything else that I happen to find strange and interesting. So, I have a guest today, Nikki Ojeda, and both of us are on the Podcast Nation Facebook group. And every Monday, they will put out a call for people who either are looking to be a guest or who are looking for guests. And Nikki posted about some of the things that she does, and I thought, it sounds interesting and she would be a good guest for the show. So how are you doing tonight, Nikki?
1: I am great, and it's uh, I'm very grateful to, to be on and that you uh, responded to my query, so I'm glad to be here.
0: Nikki uh, mentioned that she has done tarot readings, past life regressions, and our typical Okay. Sometimes I mispronounce this. Our typical embodiment? Archetypal embodiment. Archetypal. Okay. Sorry about Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) And (laughs) um, also, you uh, sounds like you have a lot of experience doing this, and you run a business called Tarot with Tatiara.
1: Yes, that's my name in certain circles.
0: So this is going to be the first episode of 2023, and I figure that this topic is appropriate for this time of year, As I know, in some circles, people like to start the new year by doing uh, divinations. Um, And and also, of course, depending on your uh, background, I know Halloween and sometimes Yule are also times where people like to uh, do divinations. So I figured this would be a very good topic to start the new year with. So let's start with uh, Nikki. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself. And if you want to talk about a little bit about your business, Tarot with Tatiara.
1: All right. Well, I have been doing this for 35 years. I'm 50 now. Do the math. Um, I was lucky enough to have a wonderful mentor. I was working in a witchy herb shop when I was 15. And I um, learned all about herbs and essential oils along with Tarot because um, I was gifted the herbal tarot by the lady i worked for who's a great mentor, like I said, and um, just my relationship to symbolism and correspondence is everything just all sort of bloomed at once. And I also create um, personalized essential oil blends and flower essences based on someone's reading optional as well. And so that's going to bring in energies and archetypes. and, And so I've been doing that for a very long time and it, Sort of informs a lot of different things about my life. And now I'm doing it online as well as in person. But I'm very excited about the archetypal embodiment um, stuff. They're workshops, both online and in person. Um, think of it as a moving meditational shamanic journey where we go okay. in and we work with these primordial energy patterns. You know, sometimes we use words like, artist or champion or sacred warrior and sometimes we tap into actual gods and goddesses like i did one with apollo and the nine muses and then persephone and hecate and i can answer more questions on that but it's basically ancient practices updated for our current consciousness
0: okay yeah because i remember you had mentioned that and it's like i i i it's not a term i ever heard before i could you know kind of guess what it's Probably, about, but we'll of course go into that later on, so sure. let's start with something that I do actually know a little bit about, though mm-hmm. not much, and those are the tarot cards now i this is something I know a very little about sometimes in the bookstores, I've seen the different decks that they have, and I know people who' have done tarot card readings. Where did tarot cards start, so if you could give us maybe a little bit of a brief history of where the cards came from, and how they've developed over the years.
1: Okay. Well, I can tell you what is known because their origins are steeped in mystery, truly. But the um, extant, the first decks that we have seen historically are from the 1400s. And um, it's the Tarot of Marseille. You know, they're French, but, you know, it's a lot of people have postulated, and there's some evidence, but not hardcore evidence in either way. So it's just almost fun to say, okay, the gypsies brought them on their uh, travels up from Egypt because there have been um, noticeable correlations with Egyptian mystery schools and um, symbolism and everything just being used. And then, of course, there's also the... um, I guess you could say the legend that the major arcana was the more spiritual information, and it was kept hidden. And the uh, minor arcana is basically the um, playing cards that we use today, and mm-hmm. so that um, everyone would have those cards. And then only, though, the village seer or witch or wizard or whoever you want to call them would have the ma- the major arcana to do a full divination. But you know, there's no uh, proof of any of this, so it's uh, fun to feel into and speculate. But I do feel that they are far older than the 14th century cards we've first seen. You know. Okay.
0: Because yeah, I have heard people uh, say that playing cards can be used as somewhat of a tarot substitute. It's not something that you know I've ever seen anyone do, but uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that the the standard deck of playing cards that we you know, that most people are familiar with are supposed to represent the minor arcana.
1: Yeah, they are they totally are derived from that. And I have to tell you that there's a lot of Appalachian and Hoodoo traditions in the country. They use playing cards for divination. And I have had that done. And you can use anything for divination if you are in tune with symbolism and your intuition. A funny story, I did a silverware reading once. <laughs> I worked in a restaurant and someone knew I did readings and they didn't have the ability to do it. So I just did a cute little reading for them with a saucer, a knife, a fork and a spoon. So the spoon became the cups. The plate was the pinnacles or coins. And then um, the fork was the sword. It seems backwards, but it's not. And the knife would be the wand. Okay. And, you know, so that's earth, air, fire and water. And then according to his question and then where they landed, it's just um something that you do learn about the symbolism of all that. And it definitely showed him that he had to give up a certain substance and it became something he found out cause he had an ulcer. So it's, it's just an interesting thing that literally anything can be used for divination with someone who knows who, well, I am Claire cognizant. I am psychic. Not all readers are, uh, but just pretty much a good symbolism and correspondence education, which I've had a lot of training, you know, okay. um, I feel that we, anyone can be, you know, can do this. Anyone can be psychic, but it's all a matter of proclivities and circumstances and desire to learn or be trained. I don't see it as a supernatural gift by any means.
0: Yeah. And I can, you know, certainly understand what you're saying about symbols and symbolism, because it's something I have a very, you know, some experience studying. I have a degree in religious studies. So one of my, One of my professors that I took several classes with, he, you know, he was big into the religious symbolism. A very interesting guy. I've talked about him several times on my podcast. Uh, His name was Dr. Wendell Charles Bean. And he was very much into like mysticism and uh, religious symbolism. And um, I guess you could say the more practical, everyday aspects of religious studies. So he was. Probably one of the professors that really, really influenced my way of thinking and just my the way I I look at mythology in and religion in general. So the to get back to the tarot cards. Now, when you go to the bookstores, uh, sometimes you'll see a variety of different tarot cards. The ones that I'm I've seen a lot of people use are like the Tarot of the Golden Dawn, and I think it's the Rider Waite deck. Yes. But sometimes you'll see other types of decks, like I've seen ones based on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, other ones based on various movies, TV shows. I've seen a few based on like specific mythologies, whether it's Greek or Norse. And I've also seen different animal decks. In your opinion, would you consider some of the decks that use modern symbols like you know, characters from a TV show or movie, to be any less valid? than your traditional decks or do you see it more as just looking at the symbolism of the characters regardless of where they came from?
1: That is such an interesting question and I have to say that in the end these symbols are all archetypes. You know, like they do a really good job of correlating. I personally would have to really resonate with the material. Um, I do have a few tarot decks. Like, Okay, so personally professionally reading for people. I stick to one deck, but reading for myself, which isn't something I do all the time, but it's kind of like fun to mix it up and get a little bit different feel. I personally wouldn't use one of those um, then professionally, but for myself, absolutely. And I think. Uh, validity is all in what, how you can use it. And it would depend on the reader or diviner as we call call it, you know, and, you know, whether or not it resonates for you, because if Buffy, the vampire slayer gets on your nerves, then those cards aren't going to, you know, speak to you very well. It's all really personal. I really respect how different we all are. And so the only true answer really is try it and see, you know?
0: Cause I have seen ones based entirely on cats and entirely on dogs and um, just like a general animal one where like one of the suits they have is the reptiles and then one for mammals, one for birds and one for, um, I'm trying to think what the other one, probably aquatic life. uh, Yeah, That'd be
1: the four elements, earth, air, fire, and water. And I'm sure that there are some decks that have a silly vibration. I haven't really seen any, but you'll know if it does. And I say that anything that speaks to you can be used. I just, I personally, I'm attached to one deck when it comes to reading for others.
0: A few episodes ago, I had a guest Zaga from the Hip to the Game podcast, and he was telling me a little bit about his trip to Salem. And it was interesting, he said, because if you want to get your fortune told, that is probably one of the best places to go. It's like with Las Vegas, you'll find slot machines just about everywhere. In restaurants, the gas station, uh, at your local supermarket. And it's kind of like that in Salem with with fortune tellers where you can find three of them on every block. And during that episode, I tried to explain how I thought tarot cards worked. Uh, So this is something that you can certainly correct me on. I know there is a formation. I'm not sure if it's called the Celtic Cross or it's there's another name for it, but there's a, a certain formation that they usually use where you have the the person, they shuffle the deck and then they draw the cards and put them in different positions and like the, this position here is supposed to represent like past regrets and then this one represents current challenges. So, how accurate or how wrong was I? When <laughs> when I was trying to just dis- when I made a feeble attempt to explain how tarot cards worked
1: that your uh description of the Celtic cross is absolutely correct
0: okay.
1: now, I do not use spreads unless I'm reading for myself i'm an intuitive I'm a psychic reader you know I happen to use cards as a way for me to filter down the infinite, so my readings are very conversational. So I have my three card. I don't want to know what the question is that they want to know about first until I get my three cards. That's my doorway into a pure message. And then after the three cards, I ask them. You know, you're welcome to ask me for insight on a particular thing or question or what you want to know about. Or I can just keep going. And lots of times they just have me keep going. And I just draw three cards at a time. It's a conversational give and take of energy. And because um, I'm really geared toward transformation, I'm not just about straight fortune telling at all. I'm about, you have the power to affect the trajectory that your um, outcomes, you know, that you're currently on and you can affect your outcome. Now, certain things are somewhat set, but how they manifest aren't, you know, there's so much that we can um, influence in what happens to us by having insight. It's very empowering. And so I'm not the type of reader who'll just say, yes, you have a problem here. And with this and that I always give them something to work with. Okay. This will shift the energy. This is the checks and balances, you know, so I'm not strictly just a fortune teller. I'm actually an energy healer and worker. And, um, I call myself a spiritual counselor. I'm an ordained minister. And, you know, I'm very much interested in the growth of the person getting a reading from me that they get something that they can use. So yeah, the, the, uh, spreads are very good when you're a beginner and I like them when I'm doing readings for myself, because I need to get out of the way a little more, and you know, just, so, um, I do utilize them in that way, but they just don't really work for me personally, but okay. I can see how useful, you know, they are for someone learning about the cards, especially,
0: you know? Okay. Um, so, so you said you liked using more like a three card spread, are there any other... Three cards method- at a
1: time. Three okay. cards at a time, yeah.
0: Okay, and then so the you have that method you mentioned and then also the, you know, talked a little bit about the Celtic cross there. Are there any other well-known methods of reading tarot that you've come across or that you've heard about?
1: There are several spreads um, in the back of any, uh, you know, tarot book. There was a really cool one that I used. It was almost like a doorway. It had five cards and it was very informative because it's like, this is what you have to not trip over (laughs) as you go through the door. This is what is, um, you know, just leaving. This is what's just coming in. So it's like a microcosm of a larger Celtic cross. But basically with mine, I'll go up to like 18 cards with people or more. It's just whatever. It's sets of three though. You know, it's like a deeper layer of insight each time. So Really, you can use any type of spread. Um, you're the one in control of what they mean. But okay. mine are just uh, sets of three deeper layers. And I just um, I've really experimented with a lot of spreads. You know, there, there are so many in the back of any books. Um, you know, there's like Jacob's Ladder and there's one where you use all the cards and by where they are. That's like something that you would do for like the next phase in your life and something like that. I find them really good for reading for yourself. Okay.
0: Now, with let's move on to the the next topic, the past life regressions. So, again, this is something I've heard about, um, a li- have a little bit of experience with. Now, the what? So, how did you get interested in doing these past life regressions? And if possible, do you know do do we know anything about the history of these past life regressions? How far back do they go? When did they start to become more widespread?
1: Okay, first of all, I must say, I do not do past life regressions. past okay. life regressions involves the patient going in and being hypnotized while someone is doing that and leading them through that. I do past life readings
0: okay sorry that's- <laughs> i
1: i it's a big difference <laughs> okay I go in I go in the they don't go in I go in and I'm seeing everything, and I communicate it to the best of my ability which I finally had to trust myself and get that through. And as far as that sort of thing, it's been going on as long as folk witchery has been going on. Now, past life regressions really became a thing around the late 1700s uh, uh, with the advent of mesmerism and pre-spiritualism. And um, it's really interesting how all those sorts of things that are under the umbrella of the occult, really, but were mixed with the psychology of the time, you know, and people wanting to, you know, have that introspection as well. It wasn't just, oh, who's knocking on the wall? What ghost? But yet they were all sort of together as well, you know. Mm. Um, So that's really where the past life regressions, and there is a fine line between them because then the person doing the regression ideally will have an interpretation and a reading as well. Um, Okay, But the uh, past life readings that I do is pretty much any time someone in ancient history would go see, go visit a seer or someone who had the sight or, you know, it's really just been a lost part of indigenous culture for everyone.
0: Okay. Yeah, I didn't, I actually didn't know that there was a difference between the two or maybe it's just, I've always heard people use them interchangeably. So uh, I learned something new today. There is a difference between regressions (laughs) and readings. (laughs) Yes. So about how long have you done these past life readings or what got you interested in doing them?
1: Well, I had two major past life memories of my own. One, I was five years old and the King Tut was on the cover of National Geographic and my mother and I were in the dentist office. And so I'm looking through it so fascinated. And I burst into tears talking about how everything was broken. And um, I knew that I had been in Egypt, you know, before it got like, worked out of me you know and another time I dreamed that my mother and I were sisters and we were running down a hill with a windmill we had these little bonnets on and just I remembered so many details I remember I'm like remember when you were my sister and she's like no pat me on the head and it turned out I found out later that we have Dutch ancestry so then that brings up the whole thing do we reincarnate along the ancestral lines or not maybe sometimes we do, you know, it makes sense. But um, to answer your question, I had a lovely group of friends who we were into a lot of the same things. And I really didn't begin doing the past life memories until I was like 20 years old. I mean, the past life readings for others, but it started at the same time, like when I was 15, I pretty much became who I am. And so it started then, but I wasn't, it took me a while to really trust myself on that one. You know, it's, A little outside the norm.
0: (laughs) Okay. So if someone was interested in in getting into these past life readings and also probably should have asked this maybe during the tarot as well, what are some recommendations uh, specifically for like tarot? Are there any books that you think would be the quintessential tarot book or uh, an essential guide for people who are interested in looking into that type of divination?
1: Well, my taste is definitely going to be a little bit different than probably the average book on the shelf, because I'm going to recommend something like Tarot Revelations, um, edited by Joseph Campbell, because I'm highly influenced by Joseph Campbell. I was reading Carl Jung at 10 because I didn't quite understand it, but it showed me the numinous, you know, and these mystical feelings I always felt like in... Listening to Ronnie James Dio, I'm like, yes, that's the circles and rings, dragons and kings, you know, that might like sound cute and laughable or whatever. But that was what I was feeling and I couldn't find language for. And so the books that I recommend are going to be like, what's going to help you put these experiences into symbolism? What's going to help you bring these lofty feelings into a practical use for your life? Because that's what I'm about. The embodiment is about not keeping all your spiritual stuff always out here transcendent, both and bringing it in. So a book like Tarot Revelations really is very deep. It is kind of dense to read for nowadays audiences, you know. Um, Another interesting book that I was influenced by is called Beyond the Celtic Cross, ironically enough, because um, um, it's a different way of having your intuition online, you know. She doesn't do exactly my uh, methods, and I can't remember the author's name, I'm sorry, but Beyond the Celtic cross is a very informative one and there's just so many, you know, books to choose from. And I know that they're not always as informative and deep. It's pretty much a journey of exploration.
0: Now you mentioned also like doing the online tarot readings. Mm -hmm. So since it sounds like you've done both, you've done the online and then you've Mm -hmm. also done in person. Is there like a different energy when you're doing one or the other? I mean, I can certainly understand how doing the being able to do the online readings was really helpful because it opens up a new client base for you. And then of course, during when COVID-19 started and during the pandemic, I mean, I'm sure there were probably fortune tellers who the the stores they worked at were either closed or they wouldn't be able to do the readings there for a while. Do you think that there's a different energy between doing the two or do you have a preference? Do you prefer to do it in person? Do you prefer to do them online or do you actually enjoy both of them about the same?
1: There are different pros and cons for each. Um, so first I will go ahead and say that I started doing it online in 2020, just like you were saying um, it became a necessity. So that's, I, I've always done them in person, you know, or I would do them over the phone, but it would usually be people who knew me or knew of me. Now it's worldwide. Being at home and doing them, I can be in my own energy bubble. I have my crystals, my incense, my vibe, and my water. That's all I need. I can easily tap into the person because it's it's non-physical. So it's just as good and in some ways better for me. However, being in a lovely venue, a psychic fair, a a festival, a witch's ball, um, sometimes having the other people around you doing it, the vibe gets really high and really beautiful. And that's something to tap into. And everybody's like, yeah, in the spirit, you know, so they are kind of different things. When come someone comes to me online, they're probably more interested in having guidance with a problem. This is both and they're both and, but it's just a greater percentage of a more personal thing. Um, and even though we're tucked away in person, it's more kind of like uh, they just want, they're curious, yeah. you know, unless they are a seasoned is the word for the one seeking the reading. <laughs> so the, the pros and cons are just kind of different for both because, you know, you can have a, a venue that isn't feeling too great. I'm, I'm pretty good at changing the energy, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> I'm a human yeah. being. <laughs> so, yeah, I I, li- I enjoy both. Um, I am a, a hermit and I like to be at home. So I am loving the um, online readings. <laughs> That's cool.
0: And, um yeah, cuz we have our our local new age store. They have a I mean I've I've never gotten a reading there, but I've seen it cuz I I have friends who used to do readings there and uh you know, it is kind of, it does have a nice peaceful feeling back there. They got the you know, the different decorations and uh they give the, uh, the you know, the person getting the reading, the querent, they give them the option to, you know, if they want to put on a little bit of music in the background or if if they want to burn some incense so I can, you know, certainly understand how it is nice to be able to provide that peaceful aura. Especially if, and I don't know if you've ever ran into this, but if you've ever had a reading where it's like, you knew you were going to tell someone something that they probably really didn't want to hear.
1: Yeah. That's a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I pretty much let it be known. It's on my website and other testimonials. I am not the kind of person who will sugarcoat what I see. However, I will seek to offer empowering information, Mm -hmm. not just like, oh, you're messed up here. All right. Time's up. (laughs) I really. um, Yeah, I I believe that to try to cover that up, no matter how unpleasant, would be a disservice to the parent. That's what that's how I view it. But I also uh, try to discourage too much fear because we are here to climb these mountains, solve these problems, go on these cycles of light and dark. It's why we're here. But, you know, our culture doesn't really foster a good relationship with the unknown or with the unseen. That's changing. And I'm part of that change.
0: I know one card that I've heard people freak out when it comes up in a reading is usually the death card. And I mean, I have, you know, again, some of my friends who've done the tarot readings are like, okay, it doesn't always necessarily mean you're going to die or someone close to you is going to die, it it generally means change. So it just means that, you know, you might be entering a new phase in your life. One friend of mine who did readings for, she was hired to do readings for a high school graduation lock-in. And that was a card that came up a lot. And of course, when you have these, you know, you know, 18 year olds who they see the death card and they start to freak out and, you know, she always just reassured them. It's like, You know, again, it can just mean transformation. And while you're graduating high school, you're you're entering into the real world now. So, you know, see it as a sign of transformation and as opposed to a sign of physically dying.
1: (laughs) Right. It's hardly ever that. It's just something's coming to an end. And most of the time they feel it. Most of the time it's no surprise. Sometimes it is, but the surprise is usually the tower card. Oh, unmet expectations. Let me just pull the rug out from under your feet, you know, but it's, there. are always opportunities. You know, it's not that nothing bad ever happens. No one likes to get certain cards, but I have ways of looking at them. Like the 10 of swords is more like, okay, you're not going to feel good about something for a while. To me, that's the scariest card, you know, and the devil's just card is usually saying, okay, either you are partying too hard or not enough. (laughs) <laughs> so, so yeah, that, uh, yeah they're very holographic so that's interesting
0: cards so that's interesting two extremes either partying not enough or partying too much <laughs> now let's yeah. go on to the the last topic we we're going to talk about and that's the our typical embodiments so the you know as i was mentioning at the start of the show this is something that i really hadn't heard about since until you told me about it when we were planning the you know this episode on facebook so what is an archetypal embodiment and again if you know where they came from and you know how they've changed over the years
1: this is going to give give me a minute to answer all this so archetypal embodiment archetypes are primordial energy patterns the term originates with jung but the concept um is very platonian but he called them forms Plato called them forms, and they are used in so many different ways. So you have archetypes that are like so they just run the gamut of the whole uh, human consciousness experience. So they're considered parts of the collective consciousness, some of them. So we have like the hero and the mother and the wise one and the healer and the addict and all those. And though they can be used in filmmaking and psychology and everything. And then we have the ones that are more like archetypes of the self used in depth psychology, like the child, uh, the persona and, um, you know, the anima and animus, the shadow. That's another set of archetypes. And then the ones I like to work with, I still work with those, but uh, because of my audience, I like to use mythological figures and characters, um, gods and goddesses. See, we named these energies. We named them so we can use them. And whether you think they originate inside or outside, it's, to me, it's a little bit of both and. However, when we're, we're, uh, drawing in this energy, I always make sure to stress this is your Persephone. This is your Persephone that you're touching with it. That way we have the opportunity to have these larger energies infect and inform, affect and inform our hidden energy patterns. Um, and let me explain that for a minute. Let's just say, um, someone has the archetype of the mystic. Okay. I'm talking about myself. I have the archetype of the mystic and an un, um, a dormant or, um, let's just say, okay, a dormant aspect of that would be the addict. It's not being used. And then you have, um, the developing or even a distorted, like sort of middle ground where it's good on its way or bad getting worse. And then the developed or developed or divine expression of that same energy is then the mystic. So therefore, how do we get in there and turn victim into champion and, you know, this uh, servant into a sacred warrior. So it's like upgrading our unconscious energy patterns. And this has taken me a long time to answer this because like you said, it's not very mainstream. And so you can make a vision board and you can do all your affirmations, which is a, a great practice. However, if you're not dealing with your unconscious those patterns are going to create your reality more than your visualizations and your insistence that things are changing. Using both is really a point of power. And it's like a missing piece to a spiritual practice or path. And though it isn't for everybody, I'd never believe anything's for anybody, but those who are searching, searching for something, there is a realness and a going into, um, going into that energy and you don't have to relive your trauma stories. If it comes up, you need to, but just moving that raw energy that's been stuck raw, energetic level. It's just makes way for that healing because you're just calling up your natural being. It's just calling up your natural energy. That's not been conditioned. that's not been distorted, but to the highest level so that you can offer the collective, what you are here to offer without that rubble from other people and, you know, misaligned
0: influences.
1: (laughs) Was there any part of that I didn't answer?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you described it well. And I, I mean, I agree that, you know, symbols can certainly be something that's interesting to work with. Um, I mean, when you look at animal symbolism, depending on the culture that you're talking about, an animal that means one thing in one culture might mean something totally different in the other, uh like one friend of mine and I was were, we, were, we were talking about this back in college and like she brought up the symbolism of owls how mm-hmm. you know a lot of people do, they will associate the owl with athena so it's you know often seen as a symbol of wisdom but uh she mentioned there was like one native american culture that and unfortunately i forgot which one she mentioned but they associated it with death and i can certainly see that with even domesticated animals like You know, certain types of dogs, you know, like take a pit bull, for example. There's people who would see a pit bull. Well, they're they might have a negative experience because or negative reaction because maybe they had a negative experience with a pit bull when they were younger, or maybe they've never really interacted with that breed, but they've heard the stories about it. But yet, there's other people, it's like, well, you raise them right, pit bulls can actually be really good family dogs, so they might react to that different, you know very, very differently.
1: Mm-hmm. So when I was describing everything, I sort of left out the embodiment part of the archetypal embodiment because the symbolism is one thing. And to just let me explain, we set up a circle with intent. this is all in your highest good. We explain so that there's no misinterpretation of symbols. But the embodiment part involves some steps. And it is the energetic intention, and that's where that will take care of those types of misunderstandings. And we have, like, the chance to clear that up. And it's actually using breath, making sound, and visualization, and some movement. Not necessarily dance, just like shaking from an area where your body is telling you there is discomfort. That's because there is body wisdom that is trying to speak. And you literally bring those energies in, but you can't do it just by thinking about it and being an armchair intellectual about it. Like you can do a, like plenty of people that's their spiritual path. And you know, that's a big part of mine as well. However, bringing it in and having it affect your life, that's the missing piece and getting into that healing that I just haven't been able to budge, you know, that kind of thing. And it involves those modalities of using them together with intention it's tapping into your own magic in the certain type of breathing. And it doesn't even have to be that perfect of a method. It's just you breathe into where the discomfort is. You put the intention, do your best to visualize and move and then make a guttural sound from that area. And we are not comfortable with making sounds. So usually the first time people are like, mm, I'm like, all you have to do is hum. You don't have to you know, sound like you're howling at the moon, but if you want to. This is a non-judgmental space. So you can kind of imagine the kind of spaces that are required uh for those workshops, but I also do them online as well. And, you know, that's sometimes more comfortable for people to let loose and just kind of like let that energy inform what you do. And that's takes a, a little bit of I'm able to guide the person in and there's a certain activation and a transmission with my own energy so that they sort of have It's like an initiation into this mystery because in the end they are mysteries, but it's also part of our natural birthright to tap into these energies.
0: Now, when we started talking about the archetypes, you mentioned how it's used in filmmaking and that for me, that just brought to mind uh, if you've ever seen a cabin in the woods.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah, I think I know which one that is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. With the, and how they brought these five students and like one was supposed to represent uh, the athlete, the scholar, the fool, the whore. And there was one other, um, I can't, can't remember, but, and it's like, actually, I didn't realize this for a while, but um, I was told that that movie was actually supposed to be more of a spoof on, it was almost supposed to be like a satire of your normal horror movies. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, they had, you know, this the scene where uh, the character who's the, the athlete and the character who's the whore, they go into the woods and, you know, start, you know, making love. And then of course uh, the rule is, you know, the fee- the, the whore has to die first and then the Virgin, <laughs> that was the other one. You know, she, oh. <laughs> um, she doesn't have to die, but she has to suffer. And it's like, you know, they were talking about how this, uh, you know, it really taps into a lot of these archetypes we see in the horror movies, which, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting movie. I, it's one of those ones that I guess some people really liked it. Some people really hated it for the cliche, but I enjoyed it. It's like the
1: breakfast club. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the same kind of thing. You know, you have the jock and the uh, smart guy, the weird girl, the prom queen and you know, the hood and mm-hmm. you know, John it's, Nelson. The- I, I absolutely <laughs> love that movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, archetypes are everywhere and we can really use them and and you know a story that doesn't tap into that is not a story that we find moving enjoyable it doesn't even have to get that deep but when it it does it's like it's the archetypes doing that but usually anything that makes it relatable or inter- entertaining is archetypal you know so it's really um just okay so this is totally um comes from Carl Jung but it's the post jungian or neo jungian People who carried on his work is where I got inspired for the archetypal embodiment, specifically Marion Woodman and then Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who wrote Women Who Run With the Wolves, because there was a lot there about nudging that old stuff, you know, and it's like this energy is very useful, whether we're, you know, enjoying a movie or seeking our personal transformation. It's having a relationship to the unseen realm is really necessary. You'll, You'll find that. Whether it's the 99% of who we are is unseen, you know, finding that personal meaning. And it's really helps with the things that, uh, you know, create our mental illnesses and distress and everything. And we're all in that because, you know, our world is such that we have to try to seek that pretty much. Um, Maybe that's all changing. I don't mean to sound pessimistic, but things that were readily there that would help us with these transitions and initiations little death card stuff, you know, yeah. a lot of that's not there. And a lot of people are not initiated adults. They're still 17 year olds, you know, and I'm not meaning it in the cool way. I mean it in a way that um, hinders their growth, you know, their
0: life. Yeah. I've, I've known a few people like that in my life who they're just as they're around the same age as I am. And it's like, they still act kind of like the, you know, a 16, 17 year old. And there've been times where I've been accused of acting like that way too. So I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's a difference between doing it for fun and cause you're fun and funny and doing it when, when a big thing comes up or can you step up to the plate or are you, you know, still living the coward ac- archetype or feeling yeah. with like someone who just hasn't, you know, braved that abyss to level up. It's required that we go into that abyss and where every uh, at every turn told to avoid that, numb it out, you know, Netflix and swill, you know, don't pay attention. And there's some wisdom in that you don't want to wallow, but you have to feel the things that are there in, within yourself to level up. It's just science, really. It's like you, if it's going to stay stuck if it's not moved through. I mean...
0: So I've heard the term Netflix and chill, but I've never heard Netflix and swill. Is that when you're getting drunk and watching Netflix? Yeah,
1: I made that up. (laughs) It's actually (laughs) mine. Yes.
0: (laughs) It it works. But I mean, and I I agree with what you're saying about how sometimes you have to find your own meaning in things. And I tend to find that a lot with like, you know, music and song lyrics Mm. where, you know, the song just hits you in just the right way. Uh, whether it's a song that helps you through a tough time in your life, something that just inspires you, or you know something that just puts you in the right headspace.
1: Yeah, and it's very personal. And see, that's like how I do the one-on-one archetypal embodiment workshops based on a person's reading. It becomes the ones they need. It becomes tailored for them, and it is very personal to what they find meaningful and what they need to have moved. And it's really just a beautiful thing to, um, you know, have that personal gnosis of this rather than just reading about it. So yeah, it's all about what makes you feel like that music you're talking about, you know, that can heal your heart. You know, it's beautiful. I've, music is very powerful. Yes. And it will stir your oh, yeah. archetypes for sure.
0: So it sounds like the, our typical embodiments, it's still fairly not, you said it wasn't really mainstream. So it's not something that you're going to find a, uh, a lot of, but are there any books that someone can look to, to, to learn about this? Or is it something that's more just, uh, done with like online forums or maybe in-person forums?
1: Um, so there are other practitioners. It's almost always in workshop form because you got to kind of work up to it. you got to be in a place to let go and go with it. Um, but there are certainly books that I would recommend, um, Especially if someone's looking for like goddess archetypes. There are more there's more literature regarding the women's studies aspect of it, but for that, dancing in the flames and the dark goddess. It's all about reclaiming those lost parts of self, right? And then um, you know, there's as far as archetypes for men, you can find a way to do the embodiment, you know, even just by talking about the practice I've Uh, learn, but just to learn about the archetypes and how they can affect you and your transformation. The um, King Warrior Magician Lover by Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette is just a beautiful book about all that information. And it's really good for men, you know, and then you can read them both. I like to, I like to read it all because I feel like it all applies to us and it's not really about gender, but it's just about the things that matter to us and where we're more likely to feel oppressed or not, or can't express ourselves fully or not in the society, both for men and women, you know. So um, I, there's a ton of books on the Internet Archive for free that you could check out. Okay. No one's listening. But, yes, Marion Woodman and then Robert Moore, I really highly recommend them both to figure out what can I uh, use archetypes for, you know.
0: <laughs> okay. Now, and I, I know you mentioned uh, initiations um, during our conversation here, so I do refer to stuff like looking at, it from the Joseph Campbell point of view with like the hero of a thousand faces and um, which I know it's one of those things. I actually did an episode on the monomyth of the heroic initiation like many, many, Mm -hmm. many years ago. And it's one of those things that I know people either really like or really hate. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the big complaints that people have about it is that it's so generic as it's to be meaningless where it's like, if you look at anything, uh, you, like there was a I remember in this episode it's like there was a video game I talked about how okay, this is how I see it follows the heroic the hero's journey and then there's other people that they don't like it because they think it that Hollywood and uh filmmakers and they've gotten too hooked on it that it's led them to create these you know these pieces of media that follow the work almost a little too closely so that it it just becomes too predictable. And I've also heard people use it as say that it can be beneficial as a type of bibliotherapy. Um, one of the s- specific examples they gave was uh, soldiers returning home from duty, whether they saw a war or whether they were on duty, but they didn't enter combat. So is that anything you've done as well? This type of, you know, using the heroic journey archetype as a way to help someone get over problems.
1: Maybe not so consciously, but um, yes, it's. I, I think it's very good. However, some of the arguments that you said people said, some of them are fair arguments, you know, because when things become mainstream, they tend to become oversimplified in general. So they would take this idea of the monomyth and not realize that it's something that is happening over and over and over in someone's life. It's not just their life. However, a story arc for like, you know, Luke Skywalker or fill in the blank. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's there and it is very useful, but it's, um, and I can see how people have been, you know, over reliant on these things And it kind of squeezes the juice out of it. You can do that with anything in Hollywood though, you know, and when anything that's, uh, becomes mainstream, sometimes the spirit gets wrung out of it or, uh, the original inspiration isn't as clear, you know. But um there's also the heroine's journey that has been put out there because some people thought that it was just way too solar masculine. It's like, well, yes, it is, because it, it is speaking to that. And then, you know, so there's just a very similar thing like for like the heroine's journey. It's just it's a little bit different and you don't have the same trials and 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 travails. And sometimes it's more of an inward journey in some ways. So the truth is we all have them both and they all happen over and over and over. Not, you know, they're not necessarily in line. So yes, um, for those who have that argument, I have to agree. It can be meaningless and oversimplified when used like that. Absolutely. You know, like anything else, you gotta, you gotta look a little deeper, you know, you gotta put, get the right mindset on. And in this case, a mythical mindset is required for all this stuff I'm talking about, the more we decide what do we want the myth of our life to be, we can inject more meaning into things. Um, Even the the darkest trials, it doesn't make it easy. Or in the moment, you know, it's not like an easy thing. It's a path, a journey, a way of seeing, or um, a way of taking in information where you look a little deeper than what's given. That's always advised, you know? Yeah, and
0: I I agree with what you were saying before, how part of the problem when something, you know, that is maybe not necessarily obscure, but not really as popular when it when it does go mainstream, how it does lose its appeal, especially to the original fan base. And I think that's yeah, just part of the problem when you're trying to make something that's going to have that broader appeal. I mean, I've I've been a heavy metal fan for many years. And <laughs> um I mean I would say Metallica's almost an example. I've never been a hardcore Metallica fan. There's some stuff there that I like, but I know a lot of the Metallica fans that you know I know they when they released the Black album they lost their you know it's like oh this isn't the Metallica we're used to and then it's like when Load and Reload came out and it just kind of went downhill for there and it's like
1: oh man I'm I'm giggling because the Black album was the last one I bought I mean, I was really young, you know, I was like 16 or 17 and now I can appreciate the later stuff that I really couldn't then, because we do get attached to being things being a certain way. And and there's other groups where it's like, oh man, they sold out. Now I look back, I was like, hey, that's melodic and great, (laughs) you know? So yeah, it just comes down to that personal perception. You can't please them all, but I definitely would advise to all these filmmakers out there now, stop taking the soul out of things you know stick to a good story that has to come first and then you can do all these under other wonderful things you know that you might be motivated to do but story has to come first you know it has to really resonate and another thing this is off all topics but please stop making characters very unappealing people okay i'm done off the soapbox
0: (laughs) oh yeah i know i've occasionally i've seen movies where it's like (laughs) there's a character like okay i'm I'm supposed to root for this person. And yeah, exactly.
1: you know, just like the whole Mary Sue thing. Are you familiar with what I'm talking oh, about? Oh Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm, okay. yeah, I've heard of that term. So
1: the Mary Sue has no heroine's journey. That's why we can't relate to her. Oh, she was just born the perfect thing. She doesn't have to go through these t- trials. That's dissatisfying you storytellers. Okay. We got to have, um, you know, Mary's got to earn her Sue, <laughs> you know, yeah. she's got to earn her position. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And it's like, you know, it means if like you can talk about how one of the, if you're, especially if you're watching like a long running TV show, there's a certain satisfaction you get when you see the hero go from being, you know, this scrawny little weakling and actually becoming, you know, this great hero and all the the struggles they have to go through. I mean, and again, I could just, I guess you could say I could relate to that being a a longtime fan of Dungeons and Dragons. So yeah, I know what it's like when you've got your wimpy little first level character, especially if you're playing a wizard who could very, very possibly get killed by a house cat. (laughs) And then it's like, you know, you play a few sessions and now it's like, okay, that, that wizard that could die from a paper cut or by cutting himself shaving can now control the forces of the universe. So yeah, that's a very satisfying journey to go through.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's very, it's, that's the thing. That's the mythical thing we got to tap into. God, I love Dungeons and Dragons. We're like friends, man. Yeah, (laughs) But um, yeah, seriously, it's that archetypal thing. Again, that's my new word. I have to, I pretty much say it in every podcast I'm in because it's just so informs these patterns of what gives our lives meaning. And a lot of us are struggling to have meaning in our lives, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's that big. And everything oh, yeah. with COVID that happened, it's like, okay, here we are a little bit more face to face with ourselves. And how do we turn this into a good thing? We got to, we got to be comfortable with our inner world and with just sitting in a room by ourselves. And that'll put you face to face with what archetypes are running your show. I'll tell you that much.
0: Yeah. I mean, I agree. Archetypes are fascinating. Uh, I always like looking at how you can see parallels in certain cultures with,
1: mm-hmm. you know, how
0: like almost all cultures have some version of Excalibur, this legendary weapon. And then yeah. of course there's the widespread belief in creatures like dragons and giants and sea serpents. And um I I think that probably goes into more of a Young was the one who did the cosmic unconsciousness, right? Or the collective collective
1: unconscious, which he says, you know, that these archetypes stem from. And, you know, if you think about it, when these um, all these different things, the dragons and all these other widespread legends, they all started from stories that we told around a a fire. You know, I mean, after a while, these motifs are going to mean something over and over, like these different iterations. I'm not saying I know how it worked out by any means, but you can (laughs) see that these are like the earliest forms of meaning and yes it is partially entertainment and yes it would be part of the spiritual path because they weren't so cut away back then you know i do know that everything was a little more just immediate so you know archetypes are very useful and i'm just glad i use them as part of my spiritual counseling because that just took everything to a new level and whether you and psychology did get me on my spiritual path, not just heavy metal and yeah. <laughs> but um started with depth psychology. So it's all strangely interwoven. And I even work with people who are atheists. You don't have to take the divine route. But to me that's the easiest, quickest doorway in because there's an unseen that when we're tapped into it, whether you view it as just another level of energy, you don't have to think of it as, you know, gods and goddesses or anything. It's it's not necessarily to do that. It's just what resonates for you because the point is we are all different and that's what needs to be honored more and more. There's just a little bit too much of people looking around. Ooh, who can I copy? Who I be? It's like, stop. What do you want to wear? What do you want to look like? What do you want to create? Stop copying other people. Don't you have any self-respect? Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back to and, and my I, kindness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I a I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying with the archetypes, how, you know, once you find that thing that just hits with someone and something that can, they can completely relate to, um, whether it's a religious figure, a mythological figure, a legendary figure or, you know, a fictional character.
1: Yeah, it's inspiration, so, inspiration mm-hmm. and meaning and guidance. And, you know, the best religions will provide that. However, that's like it's just it is not held because it's been misused so much that rarely not never, but rarely do people get the guidance, the inspiration, and above all, the ability to have their own spiritual experience from their religions nowadays. I know there's tons of exceptions. Don't, don't hate me, but um, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, generally speaking, your spiritual um, experience doesn't mean anything in your religion. In fact, it's like, you know, any personal gnosis is not given the um, importance that it actually. Should be because that's the, your gateway to something, you know, that's going to light you up and call you forward and, and, and motivate you, you know, in some way to enjoy your life. It's like enjoy your blessings and look around. You know, I hate to say things that sound trite, but sometimes things are simple like that. You have to tap into other levels to see what this is about, or else it might look like, you know, a nihilistic point of view makes a lot of sense. I've been there. I mean, you know. There's just so much more to us and what's pulling us forward. So I make sure that whatever I'm doing, though, uh, it it benefits future generations in ways I can't see as my mission statement. You know, it's like, how is this going to make things easier for the next group of people to be themselves? I'll be the weird one. I'll be authentic. I'm all about helping people uncover their natural real realness, which is what's needed and it becomes their magic, you know. So I'm helping pave the way and I'm, I'm asking others to do the same.
0: Interesting. Well, I'd like to thank you for joining uh, me today, Nikki, and discussing these topics with us. So before we go, we mentioned your tarot reading, Tarot with Tatiara. Uh, Do you have a website for that?
1: Yes, tarotwithtatiara.com. That's my handle on Instagram, tarotwithtatiara, my Facebook page. Um, And then there's a link tree if you want to see what all I'm about. And then we have my essential oil descriptions, current uh, workshops, both in person and online on there. And then easily you can schedule your online tarot or past life reading, optional um, essential oil blends, optional archetype workshop. And I do little I Ching readings by email too, if you don't want a face-to-face thing and you have a big life question. Um, I do that too. So yeah, it's but, really easy. Tarot with tatiar.com.
0: I'd like to thank you for joining us everyone. And until next time, stay strange and stay interesting.